Welcome to Fireside Breakdowns. I am Robin. And I am John. On this show, we break down some of the most controversial, complex, and even polarizing topics facing our society. We use honest, good faith analysis backed by research to form our conclusions, and we promise to skew our bias toward what can be factually supported and to make it clear when we're giving our opinion versus speaking about actual research. We are human. We have blind spots and personal biases, and they will show up sometimes. But the goal of this show isn't to convince you to see things our way. We want to give everyone a foundational understanding of these complicated topics and present the most truthful information available so that we can discuss and address these issues in a thoughtful, beneficial way. We talk about some pretty heavy stuff on this show, and we tackle topics that might feel polarizing, but we do that because we have an important goal in mind. We want to change the way that people have hard conversations, and we think that we can do that using research and discussion to create common understanding. And since you're here, we hope that you want the same thing. So we suggest getting comfortable and maybe having a good drink on hand as we work through this stuff. Welcome to our fireside. That's right. Dittos. 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 Now you know, now you know why you should watch on YouTube. No, the actual focus of today's episode is uh, our advice to you mm-hmm. on how to vet a candidate. If you are here, you know that because the title of the episode is how to vet a candidate. So if you have clicked in and started listening to this episode, welcome. You know why you're here. Uh, The time has arrived. We are at the midterm elections 2022. And everyone is talking about what might be coming down the pipe in the next few months. Is this a time of reckoning for the Democrats? Is it the moment when, as some people fear, the balance of power will shift irreversibly to the right? Or will we see a surprising upset where the left will continue to hang on to their razor's edge control over the three branches of government? Um, Nobody knows. But in about 85 days from the airing of this episode, we Americans will have some idea. That's right. Regardless of how the pendulum swings in November, we can be certain of a few things. One, we're living in a crazy world right now. Cheers to that. That's like the most obvious statement I think I've made on this show when I've made some real real zingers. And two, <laughs> that craziness is going to get cranked and it is already getting cranked all the way up when you focus on American politics. From full-on election deniers uh, to members of literal domestic terrorist organizations, domestic terrorism organizations. Um, We've got Trump syncophants vying to be elected across the country, each trying to prove that they are the Trumpiest. They face off against Democrats and moderate Republicans desperately working to appeal to the moderate, sensible, non-extremist voter, um, at least enough to get them to turn out for the historically ignored midterm elections. To be very clear, I'm not saying that if you voted for Trump, that you are extreme. All right? No. That is not what Fireside is, is stands for Mm-mm. here. There are, however, some very extreme Trump, like, worshipers running for office. Yes. And, uh, and um, one only needs to look to Arizona to find out the consequences of this kind of weird power dynamic. Um, everybody's watching Arizona in the midterms, which, when was the last time we ever said that? Never. (laughs) No, like nobody watches anybody in the midterms, but everybody's watching Arizona in the midterms because their slate of of Republican candidates is pretty extreme on the right this time. And so there are a lot of people watching to see if like, are the moderate voters going to come out on the blue side in order to keep these more extreme conservative candidates out of office? Yeah. I, when did um, Mark Kelly run 
the first time? Was that a midterm or was that a presidential oh, year election? Gosh, I can't I, remember. If he ran in a midterm, I will say that is the first time people That's the first paid time attention we to an Arizona yeah. midterm election. That's fair. Um, but uh, but I think that is kind of a, a, a outlier because his it, it was his wife, right? That got shot in the head yeah. and so he ran yeah. in her and after she could no longer run for office so yeah yeah it was that was a little bit of a wild time oh, gosh. um yeah. to understate it in the most extraordinary right. fashion that i probably could um yeah yeah uh, no I, yeah i mean we again we're not trying to overstate things we're trying to inflate things but this election maybe more than any other midterm election ever and maybe even only secondary to the 2020 presidential election, uh, maybe might have the biggest impact on America's directions that we will see in our lifetimes. Yeah. Which kind of means this is consequential. Yeah. A little bit. It's, it's important therefore that every single person listening to this and all of your friends and family and other acquaintances eligible to vote actually show up to vote. And yes, Everyone listening to this, whether you agree with our views or not, we mean everyone, because democracy only works if the people show up to make their will known. But it can be pretty difficult to determine who to even vote for, especially in these crowded and convoluted midterm fields. Signs and political messaging are only going to ramp up over the course of the next several weeks, and they're going to flood us all with opinions on why you should vote for or against this or that person. Half of it will be on topics that shouldn't even be political to begin with, like the bill providing funding for medical care for veterans who suffered from illnesses due to their exposure to burn pits while serving our country. This is a no-brainer piece of legislation that everyone should have supported, and everyone did support at first, but right. it went through the political roller coaster of being supported by Republicans and then attacked in retribution for Democrats supporting something else, and then it was finally supported and passed. It's this just a nightmare. Is, it's a nightmare. Yeah. It shouldn't have been politicized. It just shouldn't have. That's like... It shouldn't have. Mm. Also, I saw a wonderful meme the other day. There was like the next time somebody says that celebrities should stay out of politics, uh, ask them how they feel uh, or <laughs> ask ask a veteran how he feels about Jon Stewart. Um, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's honestly, that's likely to be a mild example as we draw closer to Election Day. So we're going to do what we can to help you make sense of all of this noise. And uh, we'll lay out how you can examine the options on the table, uh, how you can vet your candidates, uh, and, and make the, the best decision for you. And part of the political process for every citizen is something we happen to be pretty good at. Research. Yeah. yeah. And we hope this can serve as a guide for your own research. Right. And before we get into that, I do want to say... Yes, we will have some sources in the show notes for this week, um, but this is basically our advice to you. So uh, there's not going to be a lot of statistics, not tons of, of cited sources here, but hopefully you will find some good resources from our personal experience on how you can approach taking a look at all of these candidates. Right. Um, it can be pretty overwhelming to sort of figure out how to parse the research by itself. Like, where do you even start? What do you even look for? Um, so that's that's really what we're trying to address with this one, how how we do go about researching candidates when it's time for our local elections. Um, and I should say, this is a relatively recent development in my life. I don't know about you, Same. Robin. But, Same. <laughs> yeah. uh, but in my like 20s, ugh, ugh, God, I just aged. Um, I probably did not do the research I should have. Um, I probably did not vote as often as I should have either, frankly, um, in, in yeah. midterms. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. we're now Especially in midterms. Yeah. Especially. And primaries. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. first, first thing you need to do is find out who's on your ballot. And yeah. we mean more than just the big names and the big races, right? More than... 
national level elections are being held during these midterms. Local and state representatives will be on the ballot as well, maybe more of them than national candidates, depending on how your state or local government works. Mm-hmm. Here at Fireside Breakdowns, we tend to prioritize the importance of candidates by distance. The closest to your neighborhood are the most important, and then they decrease in magnitude of impact as they get farther from you, uh, with those closest to D.C. being least important, unless you live in D.C. Now, <laughs> that's fair. I wanted to put that little caveat I out there. Right. Um, Now, that's not to say that our national level representatives are not important. They absolutely are. But people tend to overlook the power of their local representatives. The closer you get to the national stage, the more politicians' platforms become the same and the less concern they will have for issues that don't have headline status. A certain mm-hmm. je ne sais quoi that makes them popular across right. the nation, right? Um, local and state politicians are much more likely to impact the life that you live every single day, especially with the current push to return so much power to the state. Look at Roe v. Wade, or rather the overturning with Dobbs v. Jackson of Roe v. Wade. Um It is suddenly the local politicians who are determining whether or not people live in a state where they have freedoms that they had not even six months ago or live in a, you know, proto handmaiden's tale state. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not going to apologize for that comparison either. So. Nope. Pay attention to those local and state electors. Unfortunately, local and state districts are also more likely to be gerrymandered. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which sucks. It makes evidence by the fact that in my local voting district, I did not have blue candidates in Mm -hmm. uh, at least three of the races. I just didn't have a single one. What? Totally fair. Totally fair. Totally fair. We have an episode on gerrymandering. You can go listen to that if you want to hear us rail about that for about an hour. Um, Not... Not this episode, not this one. Nope, no, no. But even in these districts, even in gerrymandered districts, representation for the minority party is a big deal, even if you don't win, right? Turning out to vote sends clear signals that support for diverse perspectives is there. And maybe you don't win this time, but next time you might. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have to, I'm sorry, minor, minor soapbox here. We really need to get over the idea of radical systemic change with one election. I want some pretty radical change. I'm not going to deny it. I I Uh will uh work for that because I believe it is necessary. But if it's not going to happen, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't show up, all right? Right. Take, Take incremental change when no other option is available, okay? That's still a victory. Yep. So... I could go on, but we're going to, I'm putting this soapbox away, mm -hmm. moving on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we got to, we got to show that that, that support is there because I mean, if you show up and support a candidate that even though you know that they're not going to win, you show up and you cast your vote, then the next time a candidate who is maybe out of the norm for where you vote would like to run and they, they do the research and they do the number, the run the numbers there's more evidence that there's support and there'll be more likely to run in the future. You're more likely to see more candidates if you show up to support your candidate, even if you don't think that they can win. But if you're going to do that in order to know who's on your ballot, you have to know a decent amount of information. Some of the races will be the same across the state on your ballot, like U.S. Senator or Governor or State Auditor, for example. But who's on your ballot for other state and local offices can change from one quarter mile to the next. And then you add on the census information and redistricting to that, and things can get really complicated really quickly. Even if you know which state congressional district you've been voting in for the past 10 years, minor changes to the district map in your area can mean you've got a whole different ballot to try to consider. So it's not easy to even just know who's on your ballot. 
where can you go to find out which candidates are vying for your specific vote? Well, again, we would like to say that it's easy to find on your county or even city government's website. Uh, But depending on where you are, sometimes knowing where to look is less than intuitive. Where I live in Missouri, that information is supposed to be easy to access on my county clerk's website. I got a pretty fancy landing page where there's a big button and everything. Uh, But when I clicked on it, it wanted me to log in to our county's GIS system. Somebody did not connect that button to the right link. (laughs) Hold on. Just clarify for those of uh, those of our listeners who do not know what that means. What is the GIS system? I think that is the geographical information system or the geospatial information right. system, depending I, on. I don't think it's geospatial. Who you are and where you are. Yeah, it's. I think it's geographical it's information system. Not something that should be public facing. <laughs> no, and it's something that like city engineers use, city planners use. It's not something that the public would have a login for. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> The first thing that you can do is definitely check out your county clerk. Definitely check out your uh, secretary of state's office. I headed over to the good old Google and I typed out find legislative district, Missouri. I know that took me over to the secretary of state's website. (laughs) Advanced Advanced research skills. (laughs) And then uh, over on the secretary of state's website, I clicked on the menu option. Where do I vote? And that took me to a helpful tool that told me all of my federal, state, and county districts. Some states and counties even have dedicated voter outreach sites. Again, my county does, uh, but it didn't have a spot to check my districts. I'm not sure what the disconnect was there. If I was building that website, uh, that's something I would have factored in. That's a part of that user story. Uh, But what it did have, though, were all the sample ballots that showed me everyone that was up for election where I am voting. These sample ballots are a great way to see which candidates you need to check out and which ones you can essentially ignore in your research process. Uh, Often, like we said, a state or local website will have those candidates. Sometimes local news outlets will share those sample ballots, and sometimes even national tools like Ballotpedia will have them. Um, But I would suggest double-checking their lists because a few times they've been really close to right. For my district, but they'll have one or two candidates off probably because of districting and and all of that stuff. Subtle changes that weren't reported to the right database. Right. Any number of things. Uh, Right. So once you know who in the world you are supposed to be potentially voting for. Right. um, The next thing you've got to do is learn about the different positions up for election, uh, what they're responsible for um, and how the choice between one and the other might impact you. And sure, you know, what your U.S. representative does should be pretty simple to deduce, or at least we hope. Um, (laughs) But your county's recorder of deeds or commissioner. Anybody know off the top of their head what that actually what they do like? I I, only know what the recorder of deeds does because I was like, why? Why am I voting for this? (laughs) To me. Like in my head, I'm picturing somebody that was like, today, John Atkinson took the <laughs> trash out without being asked. Right? Like recorded my deed. You know? They like are, that's that's they are the Chaucer the Chaucer to your Ulrich von Lichtenstein. Right? Like but. <laughs> No, not what they do. That's um, not what they do. But it's it's probably a good idea to understand what impact those folks might have on your day-to-day life, uh, especially when their spot on the ballot carries a party affiliation. Um, I think we all remember the elected county clerk from Kentucky who refused to issue same-sex marriage licenses after the Supreme Court decided Obergefell v. Hodges, which legalized same-sex marriage. Yeah, Um, that was its own whole hot mess. And I think a lot of us learned what a county clerk does because of that that. one woman. Yeah. Uh, I had just managed to like forget about that fiasco when we started researching this episode, like probably (laughs) within the calendar year. And it just now it's right at the forefront again. It's so but I, I mean, I wanted to I had to know why on earth the recorder of deeds, which operates very much like a county clerk would have a party affiliation 
aligned yeah. with it. Like, why am I voting for a Republican or Democrat? Like, aren't you just supposed to be in charge of making sure that all the appropriate licenses get get filed? And so when for this episode, I was like, hey, why does that have a political party affiliation? Um, there was a, a great quote about how that person gets to decide what technology is utilized. They get to decide the processes that are just are in place for applying for a lot of these the paperwork that they manage. Um, and they even get to decide what forms of identification are accepted in some cases. Wow. So, right? So That's... whether or not a person has a party affiliation can influence how they choose to fulfill those duties. It's not the same in every county. It's not the same in every state. But those are things that you have to consider when you're learning about the roles and responsibilities of these positions. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Step two. Not comforting. You, it's not. It's Sorry. not. I was very disconcerted. Yeah. And I was that very disconcerted that the only option that I had was a Republican candidate. <laughs> should not be. No. Don't like that. No. Okay. So step two, you know who's on your ballot. Now you have to decide what is important to you individually, personally, as a voter. You know who's on your ballot and you know what they do. And now it's time to go to the ballot box and just vote one party straight down the line, right? Dust off your hands, pat yourself on the back for a job well done. Peace out. That's how we do things. That's how we vote. Yeah. Party line. No. no. Okay. Obviously. No, that's not what we do. Obviously here. not. Uh, it doesn't it's really do you do. any good to do all of that work um, if you're just going to vote for whoever has the quote unquote right yeah. letter next to their name. Um, no. So now it's time to start prioritizing what's important to you, right? Which might be one of the things that's easier said than done. This whole list is basically filled with things that are easier said than done, honestly. Um, most of the conversation. And by conversation, we mostly mean ads and flyers and junk mail uh, around any election is going to focus most heavily on the headline issues at the center of each party's official platform. In case you're wondering what we mean by party platform, the short story is every four years, the parties hold a national convention to nominate a presidential and vice presidential candidate. During these national conventions and then smaller ones in midterm years, the parties establish a set of principles, goals, and strategies designed to address pressing political issues. Many state parties also have conventions and platforms that help state and local candidates align uh, with their thoughts, too. And these principles, goals, and strategies together form the party platform. And each party's platform, their ideas, are then further broken down into planks which are just statements that speak to each specific issue that the party has decided to run on during this election. Right. Now, the general intent of party platforms and their planks um, is to give candidates a clear political position with which they can campaign. Um, They're supposed to give voters a sense of what the candidates believe in, um, the issues they think are important, and, and how the candidates will address those issues when they win the election. It's a way to unify the party so that candidates across the country in national, state, and local races will present a cohesive front. Now, every time there's a major election, the specifics of the platform change a little to reflect the hot-button topics of the day. But the general themes you'll find um, are pretty consistent. So from the Republican Party, you'll see things like fiscal conservatism, Um, which includes like support for lower taxes, free market capitalism, uh, deregulation of corporations, restrictions on labor unions. Um, Then there's also uh, social conservatism, which includes things like uh, support for gun rights or support for traditional values, which unfortunately, in my opinion, often means traditional values with a Christian foundation. Um, And that's where the push for restrictions on abortion and the fight against same-sex marriage comes into play. Um, And then also like foreign policy, you'll often hear Republicans or conservatives in general um, wanting to talk about increased military spending, building up the military um, and taking 
unilateral action when it comes to to military engagements, which means that we don't ask other countries, we don't coordinate with our allies before <laughs> we, we go we and want. just march into, uh, yeah. uh, you know, Afghanistan or something, um, right. which we don't do that. Don't do it. No, Mm-mm. no. It's it's Mm-mm. generally a bad idea to not coordinate with your allies <laughs> whenever you go yeah. to war. Okay. It's just. I'm oh, sorry. It's just. That's my opinion. I'm talking about the Republican Party right now. I should not, uh, the Republican Party right now. I shouldn't um, uh, editorialize. That's bad. There are other Republican positions that are, that frequently hit the, uh, you know, uh, popularity uh, bell there. Uh, Restrictions on immigration, opposition to drug legalization, support for school choice, and so on and so forth. So on and so forth. The Democratic Party platform, on the other hand, frequently promotes social programs. So support for LGBT and the disabled community, support for abortion rights, advocacy for criminal justice and immigration reform. Uh, Their platform is generally more economically progressive. They advocate for stronger labor unions and support consumer protection and workplace safety regulations. The Democratic Party also generally takes an environmental focus. They support regulations against environmental pollution. They agree with scientific consensus on climate change. And then they do favor that more multilateral approach in foreign policy as well. As you can see, there's not necessarily um, a bad part to this, like it gives a broad overview for what a party stands for. If you're a member of that particular party, it kind of serves as like a, a shorthand, a rallying cry to tell you what you should care about, what you should focus on. Um, but more often than not, they're not really applicable to a person's local level issues and what they care about. In fact, we think you should forget the party platform altogether when you're deciding who to vote for. Especially right now. Yeah. Now, most American priorities or many Americans' priorities, values, and concerns, they they lie somewhere between the positions of the two parties. And that means that no single platform reflects them accurately or they bounce around between them, right? Right. In some issues, I think the Republicans have a a good point. And on some issues, I think the Democrats have a good point. And therefore, it's hard for me to decide who to vote for in any given election. Uh, Because what issue is the most important for me to support at this time? Mm -hmm. At the local level, where candidates are more likely to overlap in their approach to issues, ignoring that little letter often helps you identify the right candidate. It might be the person in the party that you don't normally vote for who Mm -hmm. actually says the things and has the plans that align with what you believe is right to do. Yeah. I mean, in some of our local elections, we have had candidates recently switch parties. And they talk in depth on their websites about why they chose to move from one party to the other. But if you're just voting straight party line... You might miss somebody who completely represents the perspective that you held before things got as crazy as they have gotten in the last few years. Um, So in order to do this, if you're going to forget about the party platforms, where do you start? The first thing that you've got to do is you've got to think about what's happening where you are locally in your state and in the spheres in which you exist. So this step is your chance to define what matters to you, regardless of what the major parties are saying. But this is also the hardest part because it really forces you to think through issues and it forces you to think through possible solutions. So we're going to ask a few questions. And when you're answering these questions, we highly suggest considering where current policies and programs where you are are working well and where the conversations on these topics are missing the mark. Um, Here are a few questions that we think that you should ask yourself. This is what we ask ourselves as we are preparing for this process. Right. First, what issues speak directly to your core values? Again, we're not talking about big party planks unless you have a strong 
personal conviction and lived connection to those things. These core values are the guideposts by which most of us live our daily lives, and most of us don't encounter something like critical race theory in our daily <laughs> lives, right? Or in our professional lives or in our elementary school lives. Or just ever. 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 <laughs> if you do feel like one of the major party planks hits that, that value, that threshold for you, right? A core value, something that impacts your daily life, then think about what the application of that means in your local or state context. Instead of looking for candidates that are willing to fight against CRT in schools, which, spoiler and reminder, is not a thing, think about breaking the concern down into issues like parental access to curriculum or school district policy. Um, another question to ask, what social issues is your community facing and how do you feel about them? Is drug use or crime or domestic violence rising where you are? The answer in my case is yes. What are the current solutions that are being proposed and are they working? Is there a growing LGBTQ community where you are and do they have enough support? What's happening socially where you are? Um, next is, is uh, outside of the social, what economic issues are prominent in your area? Um, is there a lot of income disparity, right? Are there uh, a very small uh, class of people or, or section of people that have all the money? Do you have a lot of, of uh, minimum wage laborers who are struggling to make ends meet? You know, what are the contributing factors to that economic uh, disparity? Um, are Business owners, are they getting enough support for their small business, right? Or do the workers themselves, do they get enough support? Maybe you have a very anti-union uh, locality. Uh, and so, you know, workers' rights are pretty thrown under the bus, <laughs> to put it lightly. Yeah. Um, ask yourself, are there any area-specific considerations to these conversations? So are you in a rural community uh, around here, we have a, a, a decent mix of what I would call suburban and rural folks. And there's a big question about access to high-speed internet and resources for people in rural communities. That's a big topic of conversation. If you're in an urban community, what are people talking about as far as transportation and access to jobs and things like that? Do you have a high immigrant population where you are or a high unhoused population and are are those issues important to you and why? Is the Texas governor shipping busfuls of immigrants to your city? That's a thing that just happened and it's it will a thing. continue. It to just happen. happened. Although it is funny to me, just very short sidetrack. You sent a busload of what? Central Americans to New York City. Maybe if it's a really big and crowded bus, a hundred. 75 yeah. somewhere in there people to a city of millions right what point are you trying to prove yeah you sent them to a city where um that is famous for its cultural communities right and how and well diversity. they take care of and support each other yeah you basically <laughs> gave them the best resource you possibly could have yeah i don't know if that was the like <laughs> I don't know if that was the masterful own the libs move that you think it was, I Texas. Really don't think it was. Anyway. I mean, yeah. Anyway. And finally, speaking of shipping speaking immigrants of. to New York City because you think it's a great political strategy, um, what character traits are important to you in a candidate, right? Does it matter to you if a candidate is religious? Does it matter to you if a candidate uh, contributes to the community service part of their community, if they build houses with Habitat for Humanity? Um, do you want to see that history of community service, right? Or would you rather have somebody who is uh, a business owner and who has not dedicated any time to uh, volunteer work? That's not a value judgment or a value statement on my part. Um, there is a place for both of those people in our political arena, and they are both necessary mm -hmm. to a healthy democracy. Agreed. Okay, so we have talked about finding out who's on the ballot, 
what's important to you. Step three is finding out what the candidates who are on your ballot say and do about those things that are important to you. Now that you know what you care about most and what you're looking for in a candidate overall, it is time to see how the candidates on your ballot align with your priorities. Now, you might have to do some digging to get to the answers here. Political candidates are not exactly known for their direct answers, and their media teams exist to make it sound like they want what you want. Uh, But if you're willing to do your homework, the information is actually out there. The first place that I would suggest looking is a website. Visit the candidates' websites and read their talking points. Most candidates, especially after the primary elections, have websites that invite voters to get to know them and the issues that they're campaigning on. Now, we say most because we did encounter in some of our own research um, that candidates had literally nothing on their websites other than their smiling faces and a party affiliation. That is a huge red flag. Um, I am choosing to believe that it was because we were just gearing up for the primaries and because it is expensive to run a political campaign. Um, most candidates are a little unwilling to invest a lot until (laughs) they know that they actually have a chance of being on the November ballot. Um, I'm going to assume good intent there. Yes. Yes. The healthy thing. Right. To do. Yes. I'm, I'm working on it. Um, but those websites are generally a good glimpse into what the candidate wants you to know about their positions. Right. Remember though, (laughs) That these websites, these talking points, these statements are carefully crafted by professionals like me. So you're saying perhaps we should take them with a grain of salt. Yes. Healthy, not necessarily skepticism, but just uh, trust but verify. Trust but verify. Understand that this, if you asked a political candidate what they wanted people to know about how they feel about a subject. This is what they would tell you. This is for the most part, their idealistic approach. This is what they want to be true about how they would handle that topic. Right. Um, The reality is action in politics is very complicated. A little messier. You know where you can see that mess at play? The press. Oh, yes. Yeah, not candidates, pres- uh, presidential, all the way down to your lo- your local, you know, sheriff. If you are uh, fortunate uh-huh. enough to live in a district where you vote for the sheriff, they love press, right? They clamor for it. And journalists are more than happy to oblige. Um, use this to your advantage. Read the interviews and features about your candidates in the weeks before the election. There should be plenty. The larger the election, the more coverage they're going to get. No problem. Um, Focus on their talking points, but also look for indicators of any ideologies or character that might impact their policymaking. Do they attend church every Sunday as part of a pretty conservative congregation? Or do they talk about LGBTQ plus loved ones? Uh, Do their kids attend public or private schools, right? That can affect whether or not they believe in increasing funding for schools. Yeah. Uh, And importantly... Do these things that they actually live that kind of slip in between the talking points, do they align with their stated positions on the issues? Yeah. Uh, In accordance with that, do they have a demonstrated track record of action that is based on what they're saying? What a candidate says is one thing, but what they do is often another thing completely. Uh, So when you're researching a candidate, look for the action that they've taken on issues that matter to you. Not necessarily on issues that matter to them, but to you. If they've held office before, that's a softball. Look at their previous policy actions, their votes and their statements while they were in office. You can also look to see if the candidate serves on the board of any organizations or where they volunteer their time locally. And sometimes you can even see where they donate their own money. Sometimes. Sometimes. Now, Take all of that information, everything that you've gathered, and compare that to the list of things that really matter to you. Pay attention to which candidates seem to best align with your concerns on a local, state, and national level. And note which candidates don't mention those issues. 
if you really care about a particular local or state issue, but a candidate is only focused on the big headline talking points, can you trust that they'll pay attention to the issues that you're focused on? This kind of comparison can often make one candidate stand out from a field of others with the same colors on their signs or letters by their name. Just a quick note here. Don't focus on what their opponents are saying. Okay, political ads are trash. They are designed to take things far out of context, to grab attention and spark outrage. They often take one small piece of information and blow it far out of proportion. Um, there is there is a term in politics called the uh, October surprise, right? Where suddenly an issue comes up about a candidate and there's ads all over the place and it's designed to undermine the credibility of a candidate who is uh, seems to be popular or is gaining a lot of trust or a lot of votes. Um, yeah. If you do see an ad that is concerning to you about a candidate that seems to align with your perspectives, do a little research and find out the likely tiny nugget of truth at the core of that very expensive attack ad campaign. Speaking of expenses, yes. time for step five. So we know where our candidates are. We know what we value. We know what the candidates themselves are saying about what they're going to value and what, what they're going to accomplish and how they're going to fulfill these promises that they're making. But one more facet you may want to consider before you cast your final vote, especially if your decision is closely split between two candidates, mm -hmm. it's time to show me the money. There it is. That's right. Yeah. No, political candidates, even the or political campaigns, sorry, even the smallest local level campaigns do not run without money. Running even for a local or a state office usually costs between ten and twenty thousand dollars. Not that it has to cost that much, but that's just the average. Identifying who has helped foot the campaign bill can give you some indication about a candidate's priorities, especially as campaigns get more expensive, like in a contentious statewide election or any national election. Consider the donor list a starting point for identifying potential passion areas for a candidate. Now, this works for two reasons. There's two reasons we tell you to follow the money. First one is that political campaigns don't just sit around and wait for donations to come in. Campaigns actively solicit donations from organizations and businesses that they feel will align with their own priorities. This is big business in more than one way. There are entire companies whose whole business model depends on helping campaigns identify potential donors. They leverage laws that require campaigns to disclose their donors to compile these databases of who has donated to prior campaigns and therefore would likely be would be likely to donate again. Now, that's not to say that organizations won't donate to campaigns of their own volition. Certain organizations actively seek out campaigns with priorities that they want to promote. And that's the second reason looking into these donors can be useful. The combination of who the campaign has solicited for money and who saw an opportunity to support their own priorities through a campaign's platform can indicate which planks a candidate is most likely to favor. Which might be confusing or, or might not make sense directly, but think of it this way. I'm a politician with the Colors Party. My platform consists of getting the color green used more often, of reestablishing pink as a color of masculinity, yes. which it did used to be, if you go back far enough, um, and establishing blue as the national color of America. Yes. Now, for this example, let's assume that all donors are giving the maximum possible legal amount to my campaign. My campaign was able to find three donors for my plan for green representation and two donors for my blue plank, uh, but no donors for pink masculinity. My campaign also received two unsolicited donations for blue superiority. Looking at my donations, you can see that we are getting a lot of money for supporting blue superiority, right? And a decent amount for green representation, uh, but not really anything for pink masculinity. So though I may list all three as important planks to my platform, 
Blue is definitely getting a lot of love as my most important fundraising platform. And that example leads to the next bit of information that you can gather from reviewing candidates' donations. The people, corporations, or organizations that a a politician is more likely to favor if they do win the election. A study from 2015 looked at whether or not fundraising contributions facilitated access to influential policymakers. In that experiment, a political organization attempted to schedule meetings between 191 congressional offices and the organization's members in their districts uh, who were campaign donors. The organization told these congressional offices that some of the prospective attendees had contributed to their political campaigns, but they left that detail out of other attempts to schedule a meeting. And the study found that senior policymakers made themselves available between three and four times more often to people that they were told were political donors than they did to those who were not. Now, we're not saying that these congressional members were being bought or bribed. No. But, I mean, there's a long walk between talking to someone and agreeing with their political ideology and Mm -hmm. a longer walk still from that point to actually working to pass legislation that that person wants. However, at the very least, it looks like donating money to a politician or a campaign, uh, it increases the possibility of having access to a politician. Yes. Which And, and when you start to look at the alignment between donations and, and action, the more money is at play, the stronger the appearance of that correlation seems to be. So when you're looking at these donors, uh, you need to be aware of some key types of donors. There are individual donors, which don't need much explanation. That's you or me um, or any other single person donating money to a candidate. Generally, when you hear the term grassroots donations, that means the campaign was funded primarily by individual, relatively small dollar donors, money that the average person can afford to donate to a candidate of their choice. Corporate donors, on the other hand, are businesses that donate money to a campaign, usually because whichever candidate they're supporting has interests that align with their own. Um, You'll often hear about energy companies that are donating to candidates who want to remove regulations on the fossil fuel industry, for example. (laughs) The final group to be aware of are activist organizations and lobbyists. Uh, These groups have obvious political ends to their donations. Um, They explicitly exist to drive legislation a certain direction and will therefore donate to those candidates they perceive to be beneficial to achieving that goal. And then you'll want to consider a couple more questions. A candidate's connection to each donor and how you feel about the organizations they're receiving money from. Now, for example, if a candidate um, gets a donation from the NRA. It may also be worth determining if the candidate is a member of the NRA Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or maybe a company the candidate owns or works for or works with uh, made a donation to their campaign. These connections don't necessarily indicate something nefarious or corrupt, It's just one more way to learn about your candidate. Yeah, because then once you know this, you have the opportunity to ask yourself how you feel about the sources from which a candidate is receiving money. For example, I have nothing against Shell or Exxon necessarily, but if a candidate that I'm considering voting for is receiving a lot of financing from them, I will definitely weigh that because I want the candidates that I vote for to support greener energy. If they feel beholden to fossil fuels for their position, they may not be as likely to support legislation that benefits green energy. Okay. Okay. Step seven. No, this is it. That's it. That's the, that's really, that's really, now we bring it all together. This is where you take all of those parts and pieces and put them together to decide which candidate feels like the right fit for you. If you're feeling a little overwhelmed right now, we get it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like 
When you look at the lengths to which we sometimes have to go to find out which candidates we should elect for offices we barely understand, mm, it can be tempting to vote a straight party ticket or to pay attention to one or two party races and mark random bubbles for the rest. Not that 20-year-old me ever did that. Sometimes 20-year-old me got in way over her head in the ballot box. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> sometimes 32-year-old me was like, oh, shit, I missed this one. <laughs> How did I How not did know I that was on one? here? Thanks, Ballotpedia. Yeah, no, but the, the point is here is that being an active member in a healthy democracy is a lot of work. And it's work that we often feel like we don't have the time to put in, but that's precisely why it's important that we do it. The amount of hours that we have to work in a day to make ends meet or to pay for health insurance, or the access that we have to information about candidates and the organizations who fund them, and even our ability to cast our votes on the issues that are really important to us all depend on the policy decisions that are made by the candidates that we're trying to research. It's a big deal. So, as we wrap it up here, here's our quick list of do's and don'ts uh, as you prepare to head to the ballot box this November. Yes. First things, do's. Do find out all the candidates on your ballot. Local clerks, state judges, commissioners, senators, all of them. And then know what each position's roles and responsibilities are. Do decide what matters to you. And think about what's going on in your own backyard, locally, and in your state overall. Consider a variety of sources to determine a candidate's positions and then their likely action on issues. Do definitely compare information about the candidates to your own values and the issues that you care the most about. Pay attention to who aligns with your thoughts and who ignores issues that really matter to you. And then follow the money to see who's contributing to candidates and where their allegiances might lie. Do the hard work of vetting candidates and making sure that your vote really reflects what you want for your city, for your state, and for this country. Don't. Don't <laughs> get too caught up on the national or even state party platforms. They're designed to be talking points, not to speak to your local issues. Don't pay attention to ad campaigns from political opponents, all right? They're trash. They're designed to discredit other candidates, not to communicate useful or truthful information. Do not let uh, one candidate define the other candidate, all right? That is a huge tactic. It is wildly successful, but the only reason it works is because people aren't aware of what's happening. Mm -hmm. Don't let them manipulate how you think about a candidate, all right? Come to your own conclusions. And don't bail out when it gets hard. <laughs> <laughs> really, honestly, seriously, don't bail out when it gets hard. We know this is a lot of work. We do. And mm -hmm. we understand that you, you really are busy. Sometimes the days fly by and you don't even have time to catch your breath. We get it. Make the time to do this. All right. We promise this is how we keep America functioning as best as it can. I was having a conversation with Tia uh, a couple days ago, actually, about the importance of turning out for an election, even if you don't really have an ideal candidate yeah. in that election. It's, it's not always about winning the full war right it's chess mm -hmm. it's and it's always going to be chess there's no end to this particular game sometimes you just have to settle for the lesser of two evils and it sucks right yep but morally speaking i would say being active in choosing the lesser of two evils is far superior than the greater of two evils getting into power because you chose to do nothing. Yeah, exactly. So, even when you might not have your preferred party as an option on the ballot, do your research and show up because that is the only way, the 
only way that this democracy remains a democracy. You know where else people should show up? On our website, firesidebreakdowns.com. Because that is the only way to get our show notes, which contain all of our sources, and almost exactly a transcript of everything that we hear. Um, some weeks it's closer than others, but for the most part, it's a pretty solid transcript. This uh, week, the whole episode. <laughs> this week's kind of varying a bit. It's a little varying a little bit. Uh, that's also where you can find all the links to our social media accounts. You can find information about your illustrious hosts here. And you can also find a link to our Patreon, where if you like the things that we're doing, like helping you learn how to research a candidate, you can throw a hard-earned dollar our way. Um, we promise that we will not be swayed by big dollar donations. You could test that theory if you'd like. Yes, please feel free to test our metal, our conviction. Yes. Throw exactly. thousands of dollars a month at us and watch as we maintain the course. Exactly. Uh, but you will find cool things like access to our two Fireside Breakdown Spotify playlists, monthly newsletter, fun bonus content. The bonus content for today is a little bit of a deeper dive into how to vet the judges that are on your ballot. Because um, heavens knows that the first times I got completely blindsided by choosing who to vote for on a ballot, it was because I didn't realize we had to review judges. <laughs> Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about how you can do that effectively right? over on the Patreons. That's beautiful. Yes. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud that I want to give you the good news to read as well. Oh, dang it. You've earned it. Well, you know what you could do then? You could tell them how important it is for them to leave us a review because I forgot that. That is a great point, guys. If you don't leave us a review, we die. <laughs> That's I don't it. Know why. I that was so funny. That's fair. That's fair. I might die. I might be dead tomorrow. Honestly, though, I mean, metaphorically speaking, without reviews, the show literally dies. <laughs> like, it literally if does. The, if the algorithm doesn't push us to new listeners, we don't get new listeners. And then we just we talk to the same, you know, crowd every day. And we love you. We do. We're so happy we you're here. But yep. um, we really need this to spread because we can't all have these thoughtful and, and hopefully factually informed conversations if we're not all exposed to thoughtful and factually informed conversations, guys. It's true. So it's leave, so true. Leave those reviews. We would yes. love, we would, we'd love it. We'd, we'd love to have a review. Say nice things about us, please. All right. It'd be great. Right. Enough begging. It would, be, it would be good news. Okay. A little more begging, please. All right. Now give us the good news. Yes. Okay. The good news is, that voters in Kansas showed up to the primary polls in record numbers to vote on a proposed change to the state constitution that would remove a protection for the right to abortion care. The change was defeated by a margin of 59 to 41%. And this was unexpected from a state that has not given its electors to a Democratic presidential candidate in 70 years. Kansas is a reliably red state. I believe the phrase used is ruby red. Ruby red. Now, we as a podcast overall are not taking the official stance that this decision was the correct one, though I think it's safe to say that our personal beliefs likely align with the folks in Kansas. It's uh, been pretty apparent if you've been listening lately. If you've been listening lately. But what we are saying is that this is a huge victory for democracy. And a super clear illustration that people's beliefs on issues do not fall neatly along party lines. 56% of voters in Kansas cast their ballot for Donald Trump in 2020. That's not just conservative. That's pretty hardcore Republican territory. And yet, an even bigger margin voted to protect access to abortion in that state. Say the whole sentence again. And yet, even a bigger margin voted to protect access to abortion in that state. There is no reasonable statistical way that there isn't a significant overlap in those populations. Uh, Kansas has a pretty solid reputation for having districts that are influenced by a desire to retain control of political power. That is a fancy way of saying gerrymandered. Gerrymandered. 
Um, and had this issue relied on the representation within the state government and not gone directly to the people of the state, the outcome would clearly have been very different than what the people wanted. So we are calling this probably the best news from this past week. Agreed. And there was actually a considerable amount of good news this last week. I know. Just we may like, have to like save some of it up and use it for future. Oh, episodes. yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. Because just last week, we were like, God, finding good news is really hard right now. Yes. Uh, there was part of the, co- the, the conversation that's only available on YouTube that was <laughs> pretty depressed. So <laughs> Yes. Yes. Um, so yeah, head on over to your YouTube if you want to check that particular part out. Um, otherwise that is everything for this week. It's a little longer episode than normal, but we thought it was important or rather a little longer episode than we've been aiming for (laughs) in this season. Um, but we do think it is important. So thank you so much for sticking with us. We will be back one week from today or sooner if you're listening to this after Monday, uh, to, regale you with even further tales of factual importance until that time take care of each other